Anton. Crazy. Hi, Jürgen. <laughs> How are you doing today? Um, I'm fine. Just came back from a short holiday in Italy with my family. And so I'm right now I'm pretty relaxed. Um, today was the first day back at work and yeah, it went really well. And yeah, yep. happy to have a discussion with you today. Yeah, um, honestly, there are a lot of things I uh, want to talk to you about. But uh, because you just mentioned work, what was your work day about today? Um, today, um, I work part-time on a research project at TU Vienna. And uh, today I worked for that research project. Nice. Uh, what is it about? Um, it's about a um, recommender system. Um, it's about developing an algorithm uh, which can predict... Um, how likely a research grant is going to get through and going to be successful. Nice. How does that work? I mean, I never applied for a research grant myself. I was just, uh, well, heard about it from, from the yeah. researchers or the, when I worked with the one professor uh, on the paper, mm -hmm. she mentioned it sometimes, but how can you actually determine that algorithmically? Um, there are some uh, some factors. Um, mostly, they are based on the previous history of the researcher, as also what type of program he's applying to. Um, and yeah, right now we are still figuring out which features are really um, important in order to predict the successfulness of such an um, application. Okay. Um, but for example, the amount of um, Publications is really important, also the academic age of a researcher. And then there are also some other factors like, like keywords, which research topics in particular, how their um, application is formulated. And ah. So, so on you're really so going into text analysis. It's not only like feature yeah, it's analysis. It's also a part. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. Um, can you name one example for a big uh, grant application category? Did you um, I'm on the tech team, so I just handle the data and, and ah, I don't really have the domain team. knowledge about <laughs> it <laughs> right now. And to be fair, about there's like FFG. Um, I know FFG also from the startup world because they also do a lot of, of funding on the startup scene in Austria. Ah, okay, okay. And it's also a big one for just academic research projects. But then there are also universities and also the country and, and states have their own like funds where they... Um, fund such projects and yeah there are also university grants and then also um, application forms where different um, universities work together and they have a um, certain amount of money for um, such projects so there's a wide area of different grants one could apply to and yeah. that's why i want to give a recommendation because also from my experience um, as a startup founder writing such applications for grants is really really uh, a lot of work yeah. and it's also for academics in that way and so you want to really just um, apply to grants where there is the most likelihood that these ones are going to succeed mm, yeah and so okay. and this is the, the main idea behind it so it's less like a shotgun approach where you just apply, like for example, for internships yeah. or for jobs where you apply to a hundred different yeah, ones no. within a no, week. No, because yeah, okay. Because so each of the applications is is different, and then you have uh, to yeah. work out different type of documents, and yeah. Ah, okay. So <laughs> then, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, then then it really makes sense to 
make a recommender system um, yeah. for for which brands <laughs> to apply to. Yeah, yeah, um, it's like it's like Tinder for um, <laughs> public trends. <laughs> So this would be the, the best way so that the researcher can swipe left to right uh, based nice. on his preferences and then he and the best matching grant. So how long has matched, the yeah. two lab been working on uh, this? Episode? On this? It's, uh, this project itself got funded last year and I'm working on it um, since, um, I think, end of May. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So pretty recent what is like the yeah. run rate like how long um it should be finished in the end of october wow okay so quite soon yeah so nice. we are four four people on the team um i am a part-time member of the team nice yeah. and i get it's gonna get published as well uh, the, uh the findings. yeah possibly uh, so our first initial work should serve like as an mvp or a proof of concept Mm -hmm. that this is going to work and then um let's see if if there is going to get more money allocated to this project and mm. yeah okay okay um nice i mean for for everyone's listening i mean i guess they they already figured out that you're doing quite technical stuff uh but to give a bit more context to uh <laughs> our whole, uh, talk i would say uh, yeah. how about we give a bit of a, a bit of context um I would let let me try to to summarize your life. It's it's not an easy task. It re, it really isn't. But uh, let me try, and you you just fill the gaps afterwards. Yeah. Okay? okay. So, well, we have Anton here, <laughs> Anton Volgemuth. Uh, originally, you from from Graz directly, or are you from the, no, because no, no, I remember from the countryside from okay. from um, Steins is the next speaker. Uh, location, but it's like Bichling by Steins. Bichling by Steins. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, he's from Styria in Austria. So. For everyone who doesn't know Styria, just Google like where Arnold Schwarzenegger is from and then you're going to find an amazing place in Austria. Uh, you went for high school um, for automation technologies. Yeah. At the kind true. of. Yeah. With, that actually makes so much more sense with Silana then, because I was already uh, always wondering like, where is the automation focus? Uh, and yeah. uh, <laughs> then went to to VU Vienna doing business. Uh, at first, I remember like there was a big focus on finance for you during your bachelor studies as well, and an interest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, obviously the whole the whole data science track, and then well, quite some quite some business experiences and data science experiences, different banks and um, consultancies, obviously icons, consulting with students. Yeah. Um, and then you dipped a bit into the quantitative finance part uh, at VU, but then made a switch afterwards to data science at the Technical University of Vienna. Um, yeah. How, so what was the... So you said after your, your bachelor's, basically, you wanted to go uh, into the finance sector. Yes. Why make the switch to data science? Um, yeah, it was a quite difficult decision for myself. Um, I think I've always been a really competitive guy and at business university um, and also at ICANN's, there is a, you are introduced to this new bubble. So I, before I joined ICANN's, um, which is like the biggest student consultancy here in Austria, um, where I also met Juden. 
Um, I didn't really know anything about consulting or finance. And then I got into it and I heard about these different firms, um, these, or these league tables and this, this and that. And somehow um, everyone from my peer group who was really am ambitious and hardworking um, decided to join either a consultancy or an investment bank. And so I thought, okay, if I also want to, to compete with them and, and make the best out of my studies, I also should apply for internship in these areas. And so I did. Um, I really had an interest in um, stock market um, and all the mathematic um, topics as a whole. So like quantitative finance made really sense for me um, because back then my goal was to, to reach the, 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 the pinnacle of the finance industry, which is for me working at the Quant Hedge Fund, because I think mm. we one of the smartest guys um, work there, so also a big fan of Swartzman uh, and Rentech. So I thought like, okay, I'll give it a chance and try it out. Um, before that, I did two internships as a data scientist slash software engineer slash quant um, at two investment banks. Um, then I joined the quant finance master. Um, and I think you know um, how it is if you want to apply for internships in the finance, but also um, yeah, not that bad in consulting. You have to apply a year before. So before I um, joined uh, the Quant Finance Master already had to send out applications for investment banks. So I did one internship the year before in Frankfurt. And so the next possible step for me was to go to London. So I applied for different internship programs at these banks in London. I also sent some applications out to New York because <laughs> I felt extra <laughs> ambitious. Um, but yeah, and I did this while I was working at Deutsche Bank in Frankfurt. Um, while I did this, I also had to finish my bachelor's degree. I had to finish my bachelor thesis. Um, I also did some work for icons on the side at this time, and it was really a stressful time. And at this internship, I, I got to know the people who were working, who were like one to two years ahead of me. And I mm -hmm. talked to them and unfortunately, or fortunately for me at that time, um, they were really honest about their experience um, in the finance world. And they were really, really stressed and said they, some of them said they regret the decision. Um, they were under a lot of pressure. And one crucial moment for me was that like one person had to work or I had an interview with for the job. Um, when I arrived at the office, um, they showed me around and then there was like one office room, uh, which was empty and I um, asked if who works here and or if he does like home office or so. And then they say, yeah, um, that's like the managing director of this floor. And he recently passed away um, because of a heart disease. And then one of the employees told me that thought that this was really bizarre. Um, she said, at least he didn't die at the office. And this really shocked me. And yeah, then I had to had a lot of things to think about and I really questioned if this is going to be the right place for me. And also, um, as I got more into that finance space and also the people in there, I really could see that my values don't really align with their values in that world. Um, and yeah, I 
I'm completely honest. Um, maybe I did something really stupid because I already had interviews and also final round interviews in London. So for the next year, but then I simply uh, made the decision that this isn't going to be the, the right path for me. And I just burned the boats, let's say, and stopped everything and like took two months off to refigure what I should do with my life. Crazy. Honestly, I don't. It sounds. It, I mean, <laughs> it sounds really weird. Like when you, like, imagining coming to an office and the person who interviewed you is just dead, and then it's not like just like okay, it was one tragic thing, but it's kind of talked about like it's part of the deal, part of the job. Yeah. So. Yeah, what what's what was um, more shocking to me, I asked if he like how fit he was and also how much did he work and, and all our employees said that he was like a really genuine happy guy and he loved to work and he was also really fit and had a family and so to the outside it really looked really balanced how he lived his life. So at least that's what they told me about him. So it was really yeah. shocking because if you like if you if they would say that he was always stressed and was in maybe in bad shape and really old, then I would say, okay, maybe yeah. there is a higher risk that something can happen, but that's yeah. not due to the workload, but to other reasons. But yeah, it was, maybe it was, yeah. It was so, quite shocking to me back in the time. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that kind of shakes your world, especially if you're imagining, I mean, honestly, whenever I had an, inter an interview, I was always imagining kind of like being in the shoes of the person, if the person really inspires me, if that's like someone you want to work for, you want to learn mm -hmm. from. Yeah. And you're kind of picturing yourself ahead and then the picturing yeah. ahead. Yeah. Does not look too appealing anymore. Yeah. That, what's, what's more is that like, um, I think two weeks, three weeks into the internship, um, a new, a new, let's say new employee, um, joined the office and he was like, mm. he was like two years older than me. And I thought like maybe he was on holiday or so. And I asked, okay, where he has been? Because he said he works here since a year. And then said, you know, no, um, I had to take off the last few months because I, uh, experienced a traumatic burnout and I couldn't work for two to three months. And I had to stop. And this guy was only like one, two years older than me. He joined a year before. And it was also really uh, shocking for me. And uh, yeah, the last thing was that the, my supervisor, who I'm really um, grateful for, <laughs> she told me that I shouldn't really, really um, join this world because it's really hard and you are only at work. And she said like, yeah. The guys at work aren't really your friends. They're more or less your enemy when it comes to a promotion or so. And mm. uh, <laughs> she said she has to tell me the truth that like there are several nights where she falls asleep crying because she's so, she's so under stress. And yeah, maybe it was a crazy coincidence to have three people like that telling me uh, or three occurrences that say that I sh maybe shouldn't join yeah. this career path. Um, yeah. 
Honestly, I'm I'm always grateful for whatever reason people uh, end up saying no to the normal corporate path and yeah. say hell yeah to uh, a more entrepreneurial <laughs> path. Especially especially if if I have the feeling like not that I'm an authority on this, but I have the feeling that they have the drive and the the ideas and the determination yeah. to actually get something done because there's so much progress to can be made. Uh, with your own ventures and your own uh, startups in your case. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's, a, I guess that's the biggest part now in your life. Silana, yeah. uh, for everyone who doesn't know Silana, maybe it would be a good point right now for you to give a bit of a pitch. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm one of the three founders um, at Silana, Automated Fashion Production. Um, and as the tagline says, Automated Fashion Production, this is exactly what we do. Our goal is to revolutionize the fashion industry by completely automizing the production process. So why should someone care about this problem? Um, the fashion industry right now is in a really bizarre um, situation, let's say. Um, we have this more and more introduced cycles of fast fashion. We are big companies um, like Zara or Sheen. They really push a lot of new products into the market and introduce these new trends. Um, 20 years ago, there were maybe two trend cycles, like um, fall, winter, and spring, summer. And now there's like each week or each second week a new trend cycle, um, which leads to the problem that more and more clothes needs to get produced, but also for smaller um, retailers, um, if you look at the production process, it's a journey uh, which takes long. We talk about nine to 12 months from the order to fulfillment of the order. And so it's really hard to, to hit these trends. So you have to, let's say, order a year in advance and have to say, if you are in, um, uh, in the buying position, you have to say what is going to be the trend one year ahead. And if you maybe order too much, it can't be sold. If you order too less, you lose some revenue. So it's really hard if you can't really produce on time. So and basically Zara also, is saying every two weeks, a year from now, this will be of interest for people and then the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? No, it's for Zara, it's, it's the other way around. They have like the financial capacity. So I just um, use Zara as a placeholder. So each um, big fashion retailer, they can um, take higher cost of production into account. So let's say two to three times the cost it would uh, be the traditional way of producing goods. So they can produce nearby. So like for Europe, it's like big in Portugal, um, Spain yeah. or, or so in Turkey. So the, they can produce these trend-relevant goods yeah. um, nearby, and so they can react. Or, yeah, it's a big discussion if they react to the trends or if they make the trends. So, <laughs> okay, how, how fast can they produce them? Um, it depends uh, how much they are willing to pay, um, but okay, like in a month or so, four wow. to six okay, weeks. Wow. Okay. Okay. The the, the Two week cycle makes much more sense yeah. because otherwise it's like it's, yeah it would be really crazy uh, completely supply driven market then I guess uh, but yeah um, all right so yeah. honestly yeah. <laughs> I, I was two two years ago I had to talk with a 
uh, an ex-roommate of mine, she's working in the sustainable fashion industry, working mm -hmm. for a, um, how do you call that? Like a, a label, but like a, like a certificate for basically showing that they're sustainable producers. Like fair trade and, or something? Yeah, basically. How, how do you a call that? Okay. that label? It's a, a trademark? No. Trade? No, it's not a trademark. Anyways, uh, so it's basically she's working for that, and she was studying in uh, in some some uh, program in fashion industry as well. And mm -hmm. I was like completely naive, like because she asked me the first time, like, what do I think? How often new uh, production lines are being produced? Because we were talking about the whole industry, and I was like, um, I don't no. know, like every three months, uh, like maybe four product, like four different. Uh, collections a year or something like that and she was like no every two weeks and i was yeah. just like wow i mean imagine the amount of clothing like yeah I, I don't go shopping that regularly that i would notice it but otherwise if you go to sarah every two weeks probably yeah. is it the full or half of the the collection that is changing or how, how does it actually work it's like everything changed uh, no so they're like weeks, products like white socks or underwear okay that makes basically sense the same the whole year but all the um, pants and the the, the shoes I'm seeing there? Yeah, more or less. So there are some parts that are trend relevant. Um, more for like women's fashion than that, say for men's fashion. Okay. Um, Damn. Yeah. It's insane. And this is really hard for like smaller retailers and they are quote unquote not small, but in, in relevant uh, in relation to the big ones. Yeah. Um, they can't really react to these trends because they have their to follow the let's say traditional uh, way of the traditional supply chain um, for these goods, and oftentimes they also don't have the order size that they can order alone. So they have to to merge with other um, retailers and then order together, and then a year later they get the products. And then you have this big problem: there are so many trends, and then you have a lot of stores where there's basically the same in each store and nothing's um, that is maybe that hits the trend. And this also lead that um, the study was in the last from 2008 to 2020 um, alone in the German speaking region, um, the number of retailers halved. So it's really hard. And also, if you if you take a look there, this is just a big problem. But there's uh, many more smaller ones which are huge in itself, like the work conditions you have yeah. abroad. Yeah. Um, also, the the bad environmental impact because yeah. the products get shipped from one continent to another just to do some um, cost cutting, yeah. and then they get shipped back, and then they get shipped to Europe. So. Our goal is to solve this by fully automating the process. So you can, one could um, produce regionally. And by that we would um, reduce like the carbon emissions, uh, which is introduced through the production process. We would reduce that by like 85% on average. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, fashion industry is a huge industry. So yeah. Even by tackling a part of that, that's eighty-five percent is actually um, could have a huge impact. Uh, so, how does it how does it work? Like, would the goal, for example, be that? See, I'm I'm really bad within the fashion industry. I can only think of Sarah <laughs> and some uh, 
<laughs> some high-end labels uh, who are producing um, locally a lot of times anyways. Uh, so, mm-hmm. for example, what, what, what would be the goal, like in, in terms of company, like who is your main target group you are tackling? Um, the three of us, um, as we got together with this idea, um, we laid out what our huge goal is. And Silana really is or should be our life's work. And we really want to have a huge impact on this whole industry. So we don't really have one target customer um, because we don't really sound stupid right now, but we don't really care about making money quickly and having that one customer who produces with us. We want to develop this technology Mm -hmm. and for the first time um, make it possible for each retailer, but also for really small designers that they can produce their collections, maybe of a sample size 10, or our Mm -hmm. goal would be a sample size of one, that they are able to produce them at a fair price um, and no environmental negative impact. And yeah, this would be the goal. So to create this technology, develop it, um, to have a product which allows each and everyone to produce their own fashion and produce in time um, economically friendly. So you're really in it for the long game. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like uh, I, I talk to to a lot of uh, fresh founders, especially, and a lot of them are just like, "Yeah, three years exit. That would be nice. <laughs> that yeah. would be the dream. Three years, and then I become a business angel." <laughs> Um, so that's no. actually that's really cool when I hear someone say that they they actually really invested in the idea. Like, how did it start? Like, how? I mean, neither of you is in the fashion industry. I mean, you have a background in automation through the, your high school. How how did who came up with the idea? Yeah, it was it was a crazy journey. Um, the day the idea got generated, the first idea, uh, it was 2019. Um, at yeah. the summer evening, we spent together. Also, you were there um, at uh, Liebesinsel, the place. No, I for from, real. Yeah, I think it was from like a Fabian few days Sanke. after I left Icons. It was like three or four days. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. And like on the oh. way home, uh, Michi Hofenrichter talked to me about this idea. Um, he came up with the idea that he wants to develop an online toolkit um, where you can design your own fashion in like a mm-hmm. three-dimensional place. So this whole toolkit um, principle, which was introduced years before by McDonald's, where you have your My Burger, where you can ah, yeah, quickly yeah. select what you want. Um, and he had this idea and he needed a software engineer to do that. And yeah, we talked about it and yeah, so the, the whole journey started. And I think a week before or so when he was, um, I think he was going to the railway station, um, after I can steam you, uh, which is the weekly meeting at Icons consulting by students. Um, he was there waiting for the train together with Michael Meyer and told him about this idea and then. Uh, Michael Meyer said, like, yeah, um, maybe my family, uh, my, my parents, they are both in the fashion industry. Maybe they can help you somehow. And yeah, um, <laughs> it ended up um, that um, Michael Meyer, um, 
his family, um, they run Fussel Modestrasse, which is a big fashion retailer here in what? Austria. Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, this was exactly my, also my reaction. Um, yeah. And that's how I, no one up. ever mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> never mentioned it to anyone. So I think uh, Michi Hoffenrichter and, and myself, we were like Crazy. the first from Icons who really um, got to meet that. <laughs> that uh, honestly, that says so much about him yeah. that he's yeah, not boosting around no. with <laughs> other people's achievements. Yeah, yeah. such a nice. Great day. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then we worked like one year on, on this idea of the, of the merchandising toolkit, um, which was called back in the day Merch Gecko. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I remember the name. And okay, like okay. after one year, we realized, okay, there's a huge problem in the fashion industry. And it's mm -hmm. like a problem we also, we as Merch Gecko have to face. And it was like to, to fix the production lines. And as you um, already said before, I went to school for mechanical engineering for automation technology. And I was naive enough to say, okay, let's fix this by just building a robot who can like sue um, our products itself. So we don't need to produce them in Bangladesh. Yep. And yeah, that's where Silana started. So you really, you, okay. So basically you started with one problem within the fashion industry and then you, yeah. while trying to solve that, you figured out there's a much bigger or at least much more interesting problem for you to solve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's nice. I like that. Because a lot of times people are just so in love with their solution that they yeah. ignore all the other problems that might arise. Yeah. Yeah, it was, we were, to be honest, we were really passionate about this problem because uh, Michi Meyer, he visited a lot of textile production mm -hmm. uh, manufacturers and, and he really saw how the working conditions there are and they are yeah. really poor, to be honest. And then there was also this incident where like a whole production firm broke in together yeah. Yeah. and he showed us some pictures of that and they were really disgusting. And so, yeah, we thought like this can't really be it. Um, also, there's a lot of child labor involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw a bit of that myself. For, that. Yeah. yeah, that's actually really, really admirable uh, thing to do. Because, like, obviously, fashion industry is huge. It's not going to go away mm. anytime yeah. soon. Uh, so you have so many things that are still wrong about it that can be fixed. I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in India, I one or two days I was in Agra where the, the Taj Mahal is built and they produce mm -hmm. and they used to produce a lot of saris which is like the traditional Indian clothing for for women especially yeah. there and I remember like at some like I don't remember which river is actually going through Agra but uh, they were there was like a sari a small sari factory i would say i don't know if factory is the right word but anyways they were basically washing the saris after coloring them they were basically washing them out in the river which then goes down it was a bit outside of the city which then goes down in the city and people are using the water 
from the river again uh, for Ooh. to wash themselves or maybe yeah. for preparing food because you have a lot of people mm. living down the streets as well. Yeah. So that was that was really tough to see that. I mean, first of all, you have these uh, women who were producing that who we did not wear any gloves. They were just basically mm. putting them into the the chemicals to color the saris and then taking them out there and then basically drying them there like on 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 uh, some sticks basically drying them outside and then mm. uh washing them or using the water in the in the river and uh, obviously this is not a, a huge production and i don't know for whom they're producing if it's just like some small vendor or anything yeah. else but uh, it it made this all these stories you hear about the conditions in Bangladesh and about the factories and earlier days in in China uh, yeah. with the the health issues people have and the environmental issues that are connected with that. Yeah. If that's totally okay for a small company to do that in India, then the problem in countries who are producing it much more on scale are probably so much more bigger because bigger companies usually allow themselves to play even less to the rules um, than yeah. smaller companies in public, op- open to to visit public spaces, uh, can allow themselves to behave. So that's really crazy. Uh, I'm actually really, like I remember the first time you told me about uh, Silana and what you're trying to accomplish. And I was really thinking of, if I had some money, <laughs> like lying around, <laughs> that's like a, that's a really good idea to fund. Like honestly, uh, I'm not in a position right now to become a business angel myself, especially because I have no idea about uh, or little idea about how to actually evaluate uh, early stage startups before they have started to work. But I know you guys and the work ethic is definitely there and the brains as well. And the idea just sounds so relevant. And I'm really, really wondering how come that it hasn't been implemented yet, that no one else is doing that right now in a very big fashion. Because I never thought that in 2020, and now it's 2022, Mm -hmm. most of the products are still produced like in Bangladesh because automation, you have Musk who's running around with Mm -hmm. uh, his gigafactories that are like, I don't know, 80% automated. And uh, Mm -hmm. so many different industries are seeing massive gains uh, in automation. How is it? that fashion industry hasn't catch, catched up to that yet. Um, yeah, like you said, um, also Elon Musk at, the, um, at his gigafactories, they right now at like 80% automation level. And Elon Musk himself said that there are a certain task um, a robot can't do right now, which can a human can do. And to be fair, also in the fashion industry there, if you look, the, look through the production process step by step, um, there's likely that in each of the steps, there is some degree of automation, but there's one single step where there's likely no automation, um, which is the sewing part, because it's okay. really hard. You have to uh, simply um, grabbing these uh, loose limp materials, um, which can be cotton or other, um, other fabrics. It's really hard and you have to pick them up. You have to position them. You have fi- to fixate them. Um, you also have to apply some type of tension um, and then you have to sew them. And yeah, up till now, it wasn't really possible. To be completely fair, we've conducted a lot of um, research and we did a lot of interviews with experts um, in this field. 
there has been an attempt to do a fully automized um, production line for a big fashion retailer um, whose name I can't mention together with a big automation firm. Um, mm-hmm. It was eight years ago and they failed. Um, there were some technical reasons, I would say, but there were also some other reasons why they failed. Yeah. Um, I and honestly right found now, a startup or a company that's always, that's like a million reasons, even if the idea is perfect and the timing would be perfect. Yeah, no, this, um, this was a big fashion retailer together with a big automation firm. So okay, okay. they tried to conduct this project and it unfortunately, yeah, they stopped working on it. Um, yeah, but there are also t- like one or two competitors in the United States um, who try to tackle this problem. Um, they have a smart but different approach. Like they use chemicals to harden the materials and then they, they can simply grab them because it's like if you have a, mm. a metal plate or so, then they position them onto each other and then you just can grab them with uh, a robot arm and sew them. But there you have to implement new production steps like, like hardening um, the materials so they drunk them into chemicals and then they have to wash them out. And with these chemicals, there are a lot of downside by using them. So we have a lot of more steps in the production cycle, but also it's environmental unfriendly and, and hardly challenged if, if such a production way um, should be allowed. And also uh, for the end consumer, there can be some irritations if they aren't uh, fully washed out. And yeah, we found it a, a way to grab fabrics and position them onto each other and sew them. And right now we made a lot of progress in the last months. Um, so I think we can go into more detail later on what's really hard in a hardware tech startup. But right now we are in a, in a good place. And in the next two to three months, we will be at a place where um, the first shirt produced by Silana will be available. Within how long? For Ausfanders. In, in three months, we should reach. In three months? Nice. Yeah. Wow. It actually goes really quickly. I was thinking it was just... I mean, I remember you, you were telling me that you were working on on basically mm-hmm. showing off the, the first production you're actually doing. Nice. So doesn't mean there's yeah. going to be free icons merch soon. Um, maybe. Let's see. Um, I don't know how. <laughs> As you said before, the, the, the coloring <laughs> part is really hard and, and extremely difficult. <laughs> I don't know if we can get um, a working uh, way to get this blue color. Let's say that way. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to put you in any bad position when someone from Icon is listening to this. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No. There will be some type of merch. Yeah. I mean, everyone loves free merch. <laughs> it's like goodies. I like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just they, ordered they, the new. Yeah. I just ordered the new Lumos hoodie as well because they changed the color ah. from the from the first yeah. the, the first edition to the second one. The second one is actually darker, this so is, it's uh, ah, okay. easier to. But use. still the pink. Yeah. Ah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. The logo, the logo is still the same. Uh, the, just okay. the first edition of the hoodies was uh, pink, as it was a white hoodie. With the pink logo, and it looks nice but it until really, really you've quickly. worn it a few times. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. it's not, and I'm 
traveling a lot. And I'm, I'm not yeah. gonna take yeah. something with me all around the world that is not gonna last at least a month. Um, obviously, being able to wash it, but without any yeah. special treatment. So the new one yeah. is navy blue, darker Ooh. than the than the one from from Icons. Actually, it's a, it's a, okay. yeah, obviously because it's a different shade. Uh, but it's, it still has the pink logo as far as I'm aware of. So I should receive it uh, in, a, in a week or two. I'm, I'm really hyped about oh, it. Nice. Uh, yeah, there, there's nothing than wearing a, a logo or a symbol that, I don't know, kind of connects you to your tribe. <laughs> I lo- honestly, I love to run around with the icons for this as well. Yeah, It's uh, me one too. of my most favorite hoodies. It's great. It's yeah. just, uh, uh, it's just something to be proud of. for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. definitely yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, no, it's great. It's actually hanging here. Maybe I'm going to wear it for one of the next podcast episodes. <laughs> actually, you're not going to be able to read the logo, so it's just going to be a blue hoodie. Yeah, well, anyways. Okay. <laughs> Represent it. Yeah, so, <laughs> man, it's, it's such a huge task. Like, honestly, you are, how old are you? 25? 26? 25, yeah. 25. Like, saying with 25, you're going to basically bring back production from Southeast Asia, where it has mm-hmm. been for the last, I don't know how many years, probably since globalization started. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and saying like, you you really want to bring that back. Uh, it's uh, And not only bring it back, but to, to just to make the conditions more humane by taking mm-hmm. out damaging processes like we have done in the past in a lot of industries and automate them so people are not getting harmed by it anymore. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, and I get it. I mean, it's definitely not something you can do short term-ish. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nice. So how, okay, you said the first year you've been working on, on a software-based tool. So for how long mm-hmm. has it now been that you've been working on the, the actual machinery and the business around it? Um, we came up with the idea of Silana. It was at the time where I was um, in my investment banking internship that summer. Uh, where I made like mm. the cut. Okay. Um, the biggest problem was, ago. yeah, two years ago. Uh, the biggest problem was to gather the money because machinery is quite expensive, let's yeah. say. And also, uh, there is a huge technical risk. So it's hard for free students to take this financial burden. Um, yeah. To be honest, um, the journey to receiving our first investment or our first money was really hard and difficult because we were so young. Um, and most of there the There was guys, an issue? Yeah, huge issue. Um, it was, I think we worked like one and a half years until we really found the right people who believed in us and also in Silana. Um, I think this is like a great, um, a great part if you found something in Austria or try to do something out of norm in Austria because there quickly um, came, come up a lot of people who say why things can't work. And mm. so you have a lot of reasons or a lot of guys you yes. want to prove wrong. Um, but then there are also Never some listen guys. to the naysayers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Arnie says. Um, yeah, and then we found some, uh, we kept believing, um, as we already said, um, I think like 
pretty early on we 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 free uh, so Michi Hofmanrichter, Michi Meyer and myself we sat um, down together and we discussed what we want to do with Silana and as I said before mm. um, for us it was clear that this isn't going to be a, a quickie dirt quick and dirty um, startup exit <laughs> in two to three years. So, so yeah. we are in for the long run and we really want to, to have an impact with that. And so we kept believing and worked really hard, um, invested a lot of um, our resources um, into it. Um, I think we took a huge risk, but eventually, um, I think starting this year, um, many things uh, turned out good for us and yeah, we are mm -hmm. right now in a, in, a, in a good way. Um, we have a, a lot of traction, I would say. And yeah, it's just a great journey to to do this project or, or fund this company together with two such great guys. And yeah, I really am happy and grateful that I can do something like that in my life. Yeah, honestly, it sounds like... Uh the dream for a lot of people who are thinking about being independent and working on their own ideas and startups. Mm -hmm. like the I just uh, just uh, on the last episode I was um, talking to Safe who is uh, whom I met at uh, Venture Builder at Vento mm -hmm. and uh, he's founding right now as well and he has already tried I think this now is the fourth third or fourth mm. company he's actually working on to create himself mm -hmm. and he already had two or three before where they actually had some users and working on the beta and etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think two out of three times it did not work because of the people because uh, either they were internally or just externally. not working out or internally internally ah, uh, within the team oh, yeah. uh, so mm. two times i think it was because one time it was because uh, they they just had different visions for how to finance it, mm -hmm. and therefore like probably would have changed the character of the business. And I think one time it was they had a great product, they had uh, developers, but they were working on a different company mm -hmm. already, and uh, so they didn't have the capacity to actually use the momentum. It was like a social media app, uh, okay. so they really had to use the momentum. And then they couldn't found, find any replacement for mm -hmm. the, the developers, and like that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's so hard to find the right team, the right fit, yeah. the right vision, and it really sounds like you guys are on the same track. And I hope it's going to continue being on the same track. Yeah, and envisioning yeah. the same thing and like no. working out. Like I mean, it's it's always like spending so much time together yeah. <laughs> can be quite nerve wracking at some point as well. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, to be tough. honest, it was also, so internally, it was always a, a great time working together. And uh, I think the three of us, we really grew close to each other. And I'm at the point where so, if my life was online, I would trust them. So I'm really, really happy and grateful for both of the Michaels. Nice. Michael and Michael. Yeah, both of them. So uh, you are, so basically Michael Meyer, Basically, has a, a background in business law. E, e, yes, and exactly. So he's more doing on the on the on the law and the regulation regulatory side, and Michael is like Michael is more on the business side, and you're basically trying to take care of all the technical parts and elements that are going um, into it. Or, how does it work? In, in theory, it should 
be like that. Uh, but to be honest, <laughs> each of us does like everything. Um, some of us are more efficient at certain tasks than others and the other way around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Michael Mayer, he has really a lot of knowledge in the fashion market. Um, he also mm -hmm. has the uh, broad network um, to fashion textile manufacturers, but also fashion producers, retailers, etc. Um, mm -hmm. Michael Hoffman Richter is like, like the finance and business brain behind us. Um, and he also has a lot of um, knowledge in the textile fabric industry um, from his work um, at the asset management for Lansing AG. Um, uh, they like okay. produce uh, sustainable fabrics. And yeah, um, I'm more or less responsible for the technology behind Silana. Okay. Yeah, big part. I mean, although you, you can never do it, like you, you're always going to need people. So it's, it's more about uh, finding the right people to doing the right task. Right. I think you remember that you were telling me you already found like some automation or machinery engineer to actually work more on. The yeah. Uh, he's turning the firm the next month, actually. Nice. Nice. Huh. All right. Um, so how, I mean, Michael, honestly, I haven't seen Michael Meyer in a long time, but Michael Hofmanritter just finished or is finishing his master's now. You are Yeah, he's in, finishing his master's the technical, right now. Okay. And you're still doing the, the data science master too. So how how is it founding something that you really want to push forward while still being enrolled in university and actually doing classes and courses? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a quite crazy ride, I would say. Um, <laughs> but I also I always enjoyed like learning, um, and yeah. there are some aspects of the data science masters which are really helpful for our startup um, because we do a lot of, of machine vision also for the sewing part and the grabbing. Um, so it really benefits um, the work at Silana. Um, to be extremely transparent. Um, there are some courses where I just try to get through. Um, there are yeah. other courses which I really find interesting. There are put um, more work into it, but um, for me, the number one priority is Silana, hands down. And yeah, um, it gets stressful from time to time. Um, they have numerous occurrences in the last months where I thought like I pushed myself to the limit. Um, yeah, but I'm still here and it seems good so far. <laughs> <laughs> ah. well, that, that's one way to look at it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it's a, it's a very down-to-earth approach. Like uh, being a TU, doing a master's, uh, that's something a lot of people have more than the Fair yeah, share um, of uh, workload, yeah. One thing I learned from the quantitative finance world is like that you have to hedge your positions. So maybe that's <laughs> also a reason why <laughs> I'm still doing my master's. No, but to be honest, I, I really enjoy studying and learning. Um, and I really love to study at Technical University at Vienna. Um, also the data science master especially. So the students there are really, really smart. And each of them... It's also something I really liked about the technical world. Um, 
also back in, in my school years at Hartel kind of. Um, mm -hmm. The tech guys are really down to earth and yeah. they collaborate a lot more, I think. So, and really you try to, each class, I think, is a, is a huge team and you try to help each other and not elbows out or something like that, which you often see in the business world or at least which I experience in the in my business um, world. So, yeah, there's smart guys and we just are in class trying to learn from each other and, of course, from the professors. And, yeah, it's a great experience, to be honest. Nice. So how is, because data science, especially for people who are not, in the field mm -hmm. is such a huge buzzword. And yeah. What is the what what exactly are you doing during your masters? Like what classes are you taking? What focus you're actually what like what are you um, focusing on? Good question. I know <laughs> I'm, I'm mainly I'm focusing on machine learning. So I did a lot of um, um, courses on, for example, crypto asset analytics, um, which okay. isn't really like a trading strategy or something like that. It's more on a network theory. I also uh, I took a lot of classes which are based on network theory, also like on social networks, but also on crypto, how you can really, um, from more quote-unquote secure cryptocurrencies, how you can backtrace um, certain transactions, what mm -hmm. algorithms, which heuristics there are. So I took a lot of courses in that space, um, which aren't really related to Silana. Um, and I also took a lot of courses um, in the field of like energy efficient systems, um, but also like high performance computing. Um, so these are things I really find is interesting. Um, yeah. And of course, um, also, uh, recommender systems based also on the research project are a huge part of my studies. Yeah. So for, for everyone, like rec recommender systems, yeah. there, there's just so many things, right? Okay. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I definitely <laughs> like a lot of them, they're more familiar to me or for example, like okay. recommender system I've worked yeah. on that or at least experienced that with that myself. And I'm probably going to work on that in the future more. Okay. Um, can you just give some, some example? I mean, we, we already... Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's quite easy, a recommender system. You can think of something like that. If, you're, for example, in the evening, if you watch Netflix, you finish an episode and then there, you get like five recommendations. You may also like this show or this series. And basically, there's a recommender system behind it. Um, there's actually, um, I think it was like 10 years ago when it started, where like there was this huge Netflix prize for the best predicting model for recommendations, um, which was oh, really funded. someone's giving out really? prizes for recommendations. Yeah, it, it was funded by, by Netflix and then there got a lot of um, work done in that field. And nice. you can also get it if you example, if you shop online, you get similar items. Yep. Um, yeah, there are many occurrences where you can like match. Um, similar items, but you can, for example, also match similar users and say, okay, for example, we both, Jürgen and I, we are quite the same. So maybe we enjoy the same types of food or something like that. So in some cases this works, in some cases it doesn't very much. Um, yeah. So basically clustering saying these and those features, like same age, similar background from same yeah. area, same demographics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you basically give recommendations uh, exactly. that the one person you have confirmed that they're interested in showing them to someone yeah. who's 
more or less statistically similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, back to your uh, the application grant um, recommender mm-hmm. system you're giving. So you take f- probably like from how I would imagine it, you take the uh, true positives basically, like you, from from the data that you're using, you're taking the ones you have confirmed as the winners of the grant and then looking at what they were actually doing, trying to look for patterns if it was awarded over over several years with a bit bigger sample size and then try to infer and rate other ones, other applications basically on that. Yeah, exactly. This is like one one part of the project is like okay. to to predict the successfulness of um, such a grant. Um, mm-hmm. Another one would be to um, recommend similar grants. So, if, for example, if you apply it successfully at grant A, and there is, for example, grant B, which is quite ah. similar in the characteristics and also the requirements, then nice. this one maybe gets introduced to you, so you can also apply it there. Um, and then there's also like where not similar applications get matched, but also similar researchers. So you can say, okay, we, for example, we both are um, academic researchers with the same, um, let's say, keywords in our biography, something like that, uh, same research interest, same background, same academic age, um, then you can say, okay, we more or less are likely to have the same um, success rate on these grants. And then I can see, okay, if you applied successfully to this grant, I may also consider this apply there. Nice. Honestly, this is so valuable because I know how much researchers are, uh, how much issues they're having getting the the funding, especially if they're not in a fully financed position, but are partly financed by the research grants, yeah. not only the project, but actually the, the real, the salary mm-hmm. they're getting, receiving. So, man, yeah. that's nice. Yeah. You definitely, you, you said in October, you're probably going to finish that, right? Yeah. The proof of concept. Uh, I, I really want to see that. And I'm definitely going to include it afterwards uh, into the, the podcast description as well. I mean, the podcast is going to be out by then, definitely, but... Uh, uh, it might be interesting for oh, people to hopefully the algorithm also works by then um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean there's no certainty right uh, but yeah. anyways it's really cool that uh, yeah. it, is there when you were looking at the recommender systems what previous work were you are you taking as an example or as a guidance mm-hmm. um, there for recommender systems, there has been like one Kaggle competition, um, which doesn't really um, introduce the recommender system to public, uh, sorry, to academic grant data, but they tried to um, determine the success rate of grants based okay. on certain aspects. So, and yeah, we, so there's a whole team working on the project, not only myself, and we took a look at this one before. Um, in terms of recommender systems, um, I would say we are just at the beginning because we have a lot of, uh, not problem, but we have to like gather data. Um, also, this type of data isn't really, uh, isn't publicly available. So you have really have to bring arguments why you want to, to use that type of data, um, which is provided or tracked by the university itself. Um, and yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. 
Yeah, honestly, recommender systems, I, I always saw them through the lens of consumerism. That's yeah. why I was always a bit of uh, skeptical or not interested in doing research on that myself or actually working on that because mm. uh, a bit of a opponent of kind of like engineering systems, the way yeah. that you get yeah. people always to click and always to be interested and always to stay longer and are not really interested in yeah. maximizing the enjoyment, but more maximizing yeah. your site metrics. Yeah. And, uh, I feel that point. Uh, yeah, there's, honestly, in, in the whole data science field, there's a lot of applications yeah. that are very uh, yeah. critical. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially, like, honestly, if you're like a fully blown <laughs> capitalist and super happy about every buck that is being spent, then okay, so yeah. be it, but like, looking at it from a more skeptical perspective yeah. and uh, free will, whatever that may be, but uh, looking at it from a free will perspective. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest downsides at data science. And there's also this famous quote, I can't remember from who it is, but that like the most smartest people of our generation generation um, try to find ways so they can get <laughs> other people glued to the screen. Um, yeah, right. This really is true and... Yeah, yeah. Um, I really love data science. I love the mathematics behind it. I love the tools you can build, the the business use case you can have in a good mm. way, I would say. But when it comes to a point where it's just to to increase the number of time one spends on the screen, I'm not a big fan of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, there are downsides to, to everything, but especially with... Yeah. There's so many, so many powerful applications and you really don't want to support the bad sides. Yeah, uh, whatever. exactly. Yeah, it's tricky. Honestly, like, I will, when, whenever I have experiences in the corporate side, there are, <laughs> how, how to put this delicately? <laughs> there's, there's always like this, I don't know. I have I haven't found a company yet where I'm like, there is nothing critical to say about the incentives or how they're applying it. At least not on the on the cutting edge side. Like, okay, I don't I don't want to. That's it's a it would be wrong to say that there are no uh, companies out there cannot 100% ethically uh, stand behind what they're doing because. There definitely are, but especially on the cutting edge technology side, the ones who are generating enough money so they can do a lot of research that, and that's, that's a fact, a lot of the research is ending nowhere. So you really need a lot of resources uh, yeah. to put into finding new ideas and creating new technologies. So you can actually use some of them, and which is usually a minority, and implement in, uh, usually the most... Profitable businesses are not the ones who are, um, well, working on on uh, the most uh, pressing problems, but rather, as you said, uh, spending more time on the yeah. side. I think it's a, the, the quote you were looking for is the, uh, you have the smartest people working on how um, the world is clicking on more ads. Uh, like basically yeah, working on stuff like that, that, yeah. that more and more people are clicking on yeah. <laughs> clicking on ads uh, which is uh, yeah the, the advertising industry is definitely vast and there's a lot of money in it because mm. like that's also something like without advertisement you're not gonna 
get far. Um, if you get mm-hmm. viral because you have like a huge influencer uh, who's leading the company, who's who doesn't have to pay ads because he's already like making headlines with everything he or she are doing, um, then that's one thing. But in the end, you're still depending on the whole mechanism behind it that people are writing about you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So even there, there's you're always going to end up being in this advertisement loop and uh, trying people to click on something. So you're always yeah. feeding into this machine. It's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky but there also, I think you have to consider that these big tech companies, they also created in the last 20 years a lot of new workplaces. So there isn't only oh, definitely. a bad side to like, it, so. No. All, always two sides to a coin. Yeah, that's uh, always that's definitely somewhat of a trade-off. So they also um, support a lot of families, I would say. So it's 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 quite hard um, because yeah. I think and, um, they owe the older I get and also I think the experiences I had with Silana and the decisions we had to take, it's quite hard in some situations to make the right choice. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's more hard to judge someone's choice if you haven't been in his place. Um, so maybe. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really easy to say that the problem is not yeah. worth working on or the company is just doing mm. bad stuff. Uh, yeah. There are so many decision, uh, so many factors that go into decision making, especially what you're doing for work. Because, yeah. quite honest, it is a very privileged position to say, I can pick all the different companies, yeah. pick from uh, yeah. like a, a lot of companies yeah. um, to yeah. choose from. Because you really have to be good. You have to be one of the best already to to uh, have yeah, this choice. True. So, yeah. earned. Earned in a lot of cases, but definitely something not everyone uh, can do. So uh, yeah. the, this whole—I mean, I, I used to be more judgmental when, when uh, like people in my surroundings when we were doing internships somewhere, working somewhere. But really, mm-hmm. uh, there are so many factors. Uh, it's not just what the company is doing, but actually what you are allowed to do there, the insights if you can get into it, accessibility, uh, location, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's really tough. But then the, uh, yeah, like actually it's just saying you eliminate a lot of employee employers because you don't support their cause. Um, yeah. That's something I would, I would this, this critical thinking, I, especially for people who can um, really choose where they want to work on. That's really something I want to support uh, that people are yeah. thinking more on, on what they're putting their energy and their life in. Because like in the end, do you have, most people want to have, especially when you're like a white collar um, and studying and thinking of where you want to make your, your print, basically. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really something to consider because the, even in an entry-level position, you're going to make an impact. Like, for example, I can say it from, from Google on the, on the business side, in Google Ads, uh, the... A lot, a lot, a lot of money is coming into those entry positions because they are working on scale. They're working with a lot of businesses. So it's not uh, just the the big, the large customer sales that is generating uh, Mm -hmm. the majority of the revenue. No, it's like all these small businesses that are producing and using a lot of ads. So even on the, the entry level side, you're making a huge impact on financing a company. And if you're not fully behind what the company is doing with the money or what they're doing, then there might 
you might have to reconsider if it's actually worth working there uh, because there are a lot of other companies out there as well that uh, might profit from your intellectual capacity. At least that's how I feel about this. I know how you see it. Yeah, I also see it like the same way. Um, I think in each of the decisions one takes, there's some kind of compromise or trade-off. Um, and I think each of us has to answer this question to himself and see what's the best way for him. Um, what I've seen in the last years is that we maybe live in this bubble with like um, this with people with the same characteristics and there, but there are also other yeah. people. Um, they have other values. Um, and who am I or who am we to judge what is good or wrong or bad? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you can only judge it for for your own position and for yourself, yeah. and then basically put exactly. your own actions according to that. Um, but yeah, it's true. Like dictating it to others is uh, a whole different topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky to so like come out of university <laughs> and as, when, when you're looking for a corporate career, and you're like, okay, where is everyone else going? What is like the most yeah. desirable? outcome where like the the prestige companies uh where yeah but but also yeah. also the point that like you you worked your ass off at university and then you see all the other guys who worked their ass off and and did really well in their in their studies they go to these firms um yeah. and then yeah at least for me it was like the only way to go for a short period of time in my life because yeah, yeah I find that I find that really interesting <laughs> because you said at uh, Icons you kind of stumbled over the whole quantitative finance part or the whole finance industry yeah. basically. Like, what was it that made it so appealing for you? Why finance? Um, to be honest, because um, I really worked hard. I think my whole life I really loved to study, but I also studied a lot um, also back in school. Um, and what my perception was like that the smartest guys they are, they work in the finance industry and they work at a quant hedge fund. So for me, this was like the, the, the biggest challenge, the most difficult challenge one could take on. It was like the financial market. And yeah. And I thought like, mm-hmm. why shouldn't I give it a chance? Um, so I wasn't really interested in this whole, uh, merchant acquisition stuff. So just trading, quant trading, prop trading, uh, these fields. So building models. So it's basically, yeah, I think you can say statistics or data science in the financial world. Um, and I think because it is the financial world, there's also glued a lot of money to it. And I think therefore there comes some type of prestige and yeah, I found it really interesting. Um, that's one reason why I wanted to join more because I think like this was uh, the hardest competing playing field um, in terms of intellectual mm. challenge back in the day. And to be completely honest, um, I did interviews at hedge funds and I got roasted as fuck um, in these interviews. <laughs> and that was that really was a really, really humbling experience for myself. Um, because there is okay, I'm not 
that smart, to be honest. Um, yeah, so there were quite different or difficult interview questions. So nothing I've seen before. <laughs> Can you give an example? I'm, I'm really curious. Uh, um, there was like some... I got one question, <laughs> which later on, I don't really remember what the questions were, it was like two years ago. Um, but I also found it later on in like an interview prep book. Um, it was like you have, I think you have a, a, a wooden stick, which is like one meter long and, and one centimeter um, is the width. And there are a certain amount of, of ants on it. And each of them um, goes 360 degrees into uh, in a random um direction and once two of the ants i think they, they collide then they change the um, direction and then it was i think it was like how long does it take until all ants reach one side or or go into the same direction mm. um yeah and this is where i be honest i, I said like okay let me think about it and then i was like ooh. Ooh, <laughs> this ain't gonna work out good for me. <laughs> um, ah, yeah, um, I think on that one, no, I, I didn't make this round for that interview. But for some interviews, I already uh, was somehow managed to go through the first round. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, huge of re- um, much of respect to guys working in this industry. Um, really, really smart guys. And yeah. I think this is also something like Elon Musk mentioned that um, too much uh, or too many smart guys go to work into finance or I think also in the law industry. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like the fa- fast pace. Yeah. Um, aggressive industries. Yeah. It's competitive. And- yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, honestly, when you, as, as you said, you, you, you spend all this time hustling during your uh. studies. And uh, the the people who are probably the most impressive are the ones who are just very into what they're doing and just working their asses off as well. And yeah. uh, this, those are definitely industries where where there's a lot of pressure. So mm-hmm. uh, and a big reward um, on a, on a monetary side. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. But but one thing I've learned. I definitely is that mean. Like, I, 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 <laughs> Uh, one thing I've learned um, is like that I, I really love competition, but in the end of the day, it's more about competing with yourself than with others. Um, because I think each of us in the beginning of life, we get like dealt a different hand and it doesn't really make sense to compare each self with others. Um, that's certainly something I've learned in the last years. And many things in my life got easier by viewing it that way. Um, and I think I also got uh, more chill, I think. <laughs> Does it, because uh, I'm sure that's uh, something a lot of people are aiming for Yeah. because comparison creates a lot of distress and mm-hmm. you are never done comparing yourself. Like once you, when you go down that road, yeah there's you reach a goal and then the goal gets bigger and the pool like the lake gets bigger 
and uh, mm-hmm. there are bigger fish and there are bigger fish. And then when you even like the, the top dog, there might be some personal sides to it where you're not as good off yeah. as your neighbor. The, the grass is always green on the other side, basically. Yeah, so exactly. how, how exactly. you actually, how are you actually getting this, how do you say, the mindset right to, to stop looking left and right and more looking at yourself and the head? Uh, I think, to be honest, it's <laughs> the position I'm in. There, is, there aren't really many people I can compare myself. This maybe comes across a little bit wrong, but I've, I mean, like, I have, a, I think we'd say, somewhat unique background, did like a mechanical engineering back in school, then a business bachelor degree, then data science. Now, mm-hmm. um, a deep tech hardware um, startup in the fashion industry, um, trying mm-hmm. to solve a problem which hasn't really been solved before and where really there aren't, or there's just a handful of people working on that. And these people are much older than us three at Silana. So it really is hard to compare myself to others because it's, yeah, the, the, the card I'm dealt with is, I would say, different to other people's. And so the comparisons would never be fair. And I could, for example, if I compare myself to someone who is really passionate about studying and he did his bachelor's degree and master's degree, but was solely studying, um, then I can say, okay, maybe I did stuff on the side, then there I have an edge, but he has more on the personal side, Mm. invested more time to personal relationships and so on. So I think it's for all of us, it's in the end, it's a compromise where you want to allocate your time and resources and each yeah. human being, I think, does it in a different way. So it's quite hard to compare because we all know the example where there's like this really, really, really successful business guys, but he doesn't really have any social relationships, um, doesn't have a close group of friends or so on. Yeah. And has, maybe has a lot of money, but is also um, glued to his job because he implemented this um, certain lifestyle. There's this type of lifestyle inflation, so he can't really stop working there. And then there's other guy who maybe is a gardener, but is extremely passionate about it. So you can't really compare these guys, these two guys. So each of them has their own set of values and they are both successful in their own way. And, And as long as they are both happy with their definition of success, I think it's, it's, it's perfect. That's actually interesting, like the definition of success. Like uh, it's the same when you don't have a goal and are never satisfied with mm-hmm. your outcome. Like if you don't have a daily goal and you're someone who really wants to accomplish a lot every day, then it's easy to get into the state of mind that you haven't accomplished enough today. Because you might have this big to-do list where there's just an infinite amount of tasks mm-hmm. to do. And the same goes with the with sex mindset as well. If uh, it all depends on your own definition, that's actually I'm gonna I'm gonna do some thinking on that for myself as well, because it's so easy to get into mm-hmm. the comparison trap and yeah. uh, being unhappy with with the life and everything around. Because yeah, the grass is always green on the other side, or at least it looks like it. Nice. Honestly, I think that's a very nice note to 
to end the episode as well. What do you think? Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that was. It's like in the, the background degrees. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect timing. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> For yeah. everyone who's just listening, yeah. And on the back of my wall, I have this uh, flag of California, and it, it was already a bit shaky at the beginning of the episode. It already broke down before. And uh, I was uh, basically saying to Anton that uh, I'm not quite confident that it's going to last the whole episode. And well, yeah. there it is. <laughs> Confirmed. <laughs> uh, nice. Well, Anton, thank you so much uh, for, for joining today and for doing the episode with me. It was a yeah. lot of fun actually talking to you about this more holistically i would say usually when we talk you know how it is during the small talk you always see like bits and pieces and and what is like on the on your mind at this point of time mm -hmm. but yeah. uh that was actually really nice to hear it and I, I'm, I'm sure it's gonna be uh interesting for a lot of people out there to hear about the different challenges of the fashion industry and like the, the whole different challenges you face just as a as a young professional, um, trying to orient yourself and finding something you are passionate about and actually want to contribute your life to. So how, if people have, are interested in either Silana, joining Silana, learning more about Silana or just getting in touch, reaching out to you about your experiences, what would be the best channel to? Um, you can get in touch with us um, either through our website. It's wearesilana.com. Okay. Um, but you can also write um, one of um, us three founders, Michael Hofmann-Richter, Michael Meyer, or myself, Anton Wolgemuth, at LinkedIn. And nice. All of three of us, we are also on Instagram, um, but most of the time we have it deleted <laughs> from our phones so that we don't get distracted. <laughs> um, nice. But some days we, we install the app and, and share some insights of the day-to-day -day startup life. So <laughs> you can also catch us there. Um, as I said before, it's just our names: Michael Meyer, Michael Hofmann-Richter, Anton Bogemot. Honestly, yeah. I see I see a certain need for someone doing your marketing. So if you're out <laughs> there, uh, you want to get into marketing, you are into marketing, you're really good in social media management. They might not have that on their payroll as a position right now. Uh, but honestly, that's something I completely underestimated my whole student time. I was always like, okay, yeah. get like a part-time job somewhere to get gain some experience. But honestly, if you get the opportunity to work for a cool company, even if you're not paying, mm -hmm. especially if they're not paying you, you might have a lot less pressure. There is a lot less expectation. There are a lot less like uh, mm -hmm. firm tasks to do, but you can just play around. That's actually really amazing. So I don't know if you like, would be interesting, but if there's someone out there wanting yeah. to work for an amazing thriving startup in the fashion industry, um, doing yeah. some social media for them, I'm sure they're, Feel free to reach out. So, um, yeah, we are, yeah, it's, it's quite hard for us. So there are a lot of tasks and yeah. marketing is certainly one. Uh, yeah, we aren't too eager to tackle that <laughs> on ourselves. Um, yeah, maybe if there's someone out, um, just contact us if you have the ability to find us anywhere. <laughs> But it shouldn't be that hard. I think if you Google Silana, <laughs> automatically, on the 10th or 11th page of Google, maybe there is a link where you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're going to find when you put the, when you put fashion, Silana and fashion, I'm sure you're going to find yeah. it quite up there in the first yeah. 
um, recommendations from Google. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, honestly, I'm really looking forward to to seeing you guys uh, succeed. And yeah. uh, this is definitely not going to be the last episode with you. I'm really looking yeah. forward to hear more Thank about you. that. Yeah, future. maybe we can help you out with some um, podcast merchandise later on. <laughs> I'm gonna take you back. <laughs> so, you have to be careful with that. <laughs> That's gonna yeah. be a lot of stuff <laughs> might be coming up. No, but honestly, yeah. I'm really hyped about that. Um, yeah, so the good time uh, is that the lead times cool for idea. our production line they are quite fast, so quite short the lead time. So, ah. <laughs> should be the problem to serve yeah. all our friends and family. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now I'm really looking forward to that. And Anton, thanks a lot. And uh, thanks, everybody. Bye. Have a good evening or morning. Bye.